All right, and welcome to the Dice of Screaming podcast. It's oh. time once again for us to bring together Randy, myself, and Mike. That's him. It totally is. It is. It's totally him. <laughs> no, I'm lying. Uh, <laughs> Mike's not here right now. Oh, oh. it's other you got Mike. other Mike. Oh, geez. Uh, mirror, 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 universe. Uh, parallel <laughs> dimensions running concurrently. Yep. Yeah. Fear my goatee. Oh, yes, he does have a goatee. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, so welcome. It's uh, Tuesday. So that means it's Topic Tuesday, right? It is. It is Topic Tuesday, and here we are talking about nothing but, anything but topics. So, uh, no kimono opening. But uh, yeah, we do have some topic for you tonight. We worked on this one, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. We have some call-ins going to Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Indeed. Give us uh, a little bit of his mind. Also, uh, you could expect no less from... Oh, well. <laughs> the old-time penny candy of gaming podcasts. Oh. And it, 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 you know, it, it's, it's sweet after a fashion, but it's not like the good stuff. Okay, this, this is, uh, you know, you're not getting a Snickers here. You're getting like a Mr. Good Bar. Okay, that... <laughs> oh, Toffee candy, yeah. It's a zag nut. Pulled out one of my fillings. Um, <laughs> chewing yeah. that up. Yeah, not quite the good stuff, but eh, it'll do in a pinch. Black licorice. Yeah, Whoa. okay. <laughs> the leftover of of Easter candies. Uh, I'll save that one for another time. Yeah, so, uh, well, yeah, we got candy some... corn of Christmas treats. <laughs> We got some uh, call-ins, so we're going to just get right into it and get back to you. So, uh, Jason is called in. So, take it away, Jason. Hey, guys. Jason here. I'm on the way to work, so you got the road noise in my van here. But just want to mention, I really enjoyed your Monsters episode. Great episode. So, I'm. you talked about maybe doing a Game Balance episode. I think that was you. Maybe it was somebody else. I don't know. It all swirls together in my brain and... The iron trap it is, you know, sometimes hard to get the information back out. Anywho, as far as game balance and monsters go, though, you know, one of my early loves is Tunnels and Trolls. And as you probably know, Tunnels and Trolls did a a separate game called Monsters Monsters where you played the monsters fighting humans. So you raided human towns and things like that. It was tongue-in-cheek. And and Tunnels and Trolls is also one of the early games to give a lot of rules not a lot of rules, but to give rules on playing monsters and playing all the different wild races. And they had, by the fifth edition, maybe earlier than that, they had a big chart in there on, you know, all the stat modifiers for different monsters and whatnot. And in fact, in the last online game of Tunnels and Trolls I played, I think there's only one human everybody else picked and played monster races because all the rules were in there for them. And this person in front of me is driving so slow and I'm... Anyhow, now that we have a little bit of road rage on record, what I wanted to talk about was game balance and tunnels and trolls. Tunnels and trolls might want to be might yeah might be one of the earliest games to have game balance in it. If you think about it, because if you think about the way the combat is, monsters and that are just a monster rating, and the way you add up the characters' combat score and adds, it was super easy to come up with a balanced encounter, quote-unquote, right? So I wonder, is Tunnels and Trolls the first game to have game balance? I don't know. What are your thoughts? 
All right. Whoa, Jason. Yeah, it sounds like you got some road rage on there. Hope that uh, this doesn't get brought up in criminal court. Or... <laughs> no, probably civil for traffic infractions. It's all right. I, I don't make a good witness under any circumstances, so they, they can't count on me to testify against you. Uh, my my testimony is not credulous. <laughs> I'm incredulous to your credulousness. <laughs> uh, no, I cannot be trusted. Although, uh, on the subject of game balance, mm -hmm. I honestly think uh, it's a bit of a misnomer to attribute good game balance to Tunnels and Trolls. Not because it isn't a balanced game, but rather because it's such a wonderfully stripped down, super simple system. Uh, there's no effort in game balance to it, okay? It, it doesn't take a lot to balance a game that is just so nuts and bolts, which I think half the charm of Tunnels and Trolls is uh, you do not have to show up with your, like, you know, post-grad degree. Uh, I've got a doctorate and, and mathematics. It, it doesn't take that much to master and then enjoy Tunnels and Trolls. So that one... You know, I'm not sure if it's an ideal example of game balance or a perfect example of a game that has sidestepped the issue uh, by making game balance not so necessary. Well, uh, it's hard for it to get out of balance. You know, um, that's pretty deep. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of just going to take it in on that one. I'm going to just, uh, yeah, what he said. Um, I, and next <laughs> to that, sorry, I got yeah. nothing. I <laughs> Oh, that's what happens when I eat. The so brownie. this is this is what, so this is what Fermi felt like when Einstein was in the room. Okay. <laughs> All right. Nice, nice, Enrico. I'm I'm with you on that one. That's that good, good ref. Uh, but no, D and D by comparison or contrast would be a high complexity system. Yeah. Uh, where coming out of wargaming the way it did. Uh, it expanded so rapidly and incorporated so much that game balance was constantly sliding out of grasp. And that's almost an inevitable consequence. The more rules and the more expansion that you undertake, uh, the greater game balance starts to be at risk. And, you know, Tunnels and Trolls sidestepped all of that and it stayed fun, fast, punchy. And enjoyable, you know, just... Yeah, your combat rating versus monster rating, dice, adds, all that, and that's it. Do You know, bing, bang, boom, you're done. I mean, missile combat takes place before and after missile spells are all added in that. It's a really simple system, and it works well. So, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's split between the two. You know, it could be an example of game balance, but I still think it's a better example of a game that can't get out of balance. Yeah, and what we were talking about with the monsters wasn't directly an allegory to the monsters monsters uh rules oh but it was to the fact that yeah when you get so many monsters you know there's a certain effort to make the ecology of monsters kind of sympathetic with your world so that they fit in so you know okay we know the orcs and goblins live predominantly in mordor but there's some in mirkwood Oh, true. They have, you know, there's uh, a couple uh, in the Orcs enclaves near uh, the Misty Mountains and all that. And in the Mines of Moria, mm. there, there are darker things than Orcs in the deep places of the world. Yep. Thank you, Gandalf. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Expedition dump. Sometimes even five shadowing. 
Yeah, so, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. But, yeah, game balance, that's, uh, yeah, Mike, uh, all right. I, I got nothing. So I uh, slipped he, a gear there for a moment. Uh, you should see what happens when I, I watch anything that is, like, related to space and physics. So <laughs> I am positively intolerable for at least two or three hours until I get my head back out of the clouds. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. Don't make me go quantum on you. All right. So, well, uh, <laughs> but thanks, Jason. Uh, uh, good luck with those, uh, with that guy in front of you. I hope the, you didn't plow over him. All right. So, uh, we're going to cut real quick to do in our normal thing and paying the bills, put our little advertisement, our shameless plug for Anchor Podcasting. Yeah. Which we love you, Anchor. Yeah, we you do. Know. So, we're just going to get that done and be right back after these short messages. All right, and we're back. And so it's just two of us sitting here talking about topics on a Tuesday. And you're here with us, so thanks. And uh, again, Anchor app, that's all there for you. Just uh, download it. You can make call in like Jason and give us a view of your road rage. So <laughs> preserved oh, yeah. for posterity for all times on the airwaves. Mine is a ludicrously quiet road rage. I I, I got to say, it's it's a little similar there. I, mean, like I, I, I don't necessarily always lay on the horn. But uh, my inner monologue is just scorching. It's horrific. Uh, Blistering. Yeah, some of it is not fit for repeat on a reasonably family-friendly show. Uh, you know, we, we occasionally stray into, like, some saltier commentary, but, you know, we don't, we don't go shock jock on this, on this podcast. So, yeah, I can't even repeat some of the stuff that goes through my mind. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Oh man, I have insulted entire lineages, uh, <laughs> uh, and tried to be very, very stoic. Just let it pass, let it pass, dude. You know. Uh, well, it's hard. I have a great affection for people, but a terribly low opinion of them. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a torment. I mean, that is an ironic situation to be in. It is tough. I hate people, but I love crowds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no comment. Um, but nonetheless, so our topic for tonight is going to be when your players want something and you don't want to give it to them, or how to play without guardrails but yet still keep it hemmed in and corralled. Yeah, when to intervene and when not. Okay. I mean, yeah, and because we... it's a tough threshold. I mean, you know, yeah. let's let's talk. Actually, talk about this. Because it's a thing that every DM is going to go through. Sooner or later, you will be at a table. Players will ask for more than you feel comfortable giving. How do you navigate your way through that? What's acceptable and what's not? Right, and the reason we've covered this in different ways, and I think it still bears We brushed up against this on game balance, because players sometimes do things that push your game out of balance. Uh, and so we covered things to watch out for. But how do you navigate the people aspect of it? Like negotiating with your players. It didn't right. really go into that. Right. And so we're going to talk about managing your expectations. And, of course, we talked about like with Session Zero, explaining the role of your campaign and the scope that you want to have, as well as setting firm boundaries ahead of time so that people understand what they're getting into so that when, if they're listening to your preamble, in session zero, and they say, hey, you know, this just doesn't sound like something I'm interested in. 
you know, this is the time that you want to hear that. You don't want to hear that, like, 18 games in session, you know, and their characters, you know, you've worked the character, the player character group into a tightly woven and closely knit group that is a well-honed fighting machine, or at least I hope you have. Oh, well, one would hope. I mean, 18 sessions in, you know. And then somebody says, yeah, this isn't for me. Okay, yeah. Yeah, third session, not a big loss. Halfway through the campaign, yeah, that could be potential, but, you know, things happen. So... Right, here's where Mike and uh, me have been uh, batting this around a little bit. We also want to put in here a couple of things, how to manage expectations again, and it all comes back to communication. So I know that if you just say, hey, it's just talking to your players. Well, here's how you talk to your players. And uh, again, it's going to kind of go with some of our um, topics that we've talked or covered in the past. I mean, we'd say talk, but we've literally beat some of these topics to death. But yet, there is still meat on the bone for these. Yeah, look, there are some nuances here that I don't think we've ever covered. Uh, everyone at a table is a volunteer. You know, you're. I mean, it, it's not like we have captive gamers. Uh, you know, there. <laughs> you've you've got a bolt in your neck that uh, you know's got a minute amount of C four and it'll just blow your brain stem out if uh, you don't make it to game. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're gonna play this, you're gonna like it. No, that. Everybody coming to a table as a volunteer, everybody coming to a table as a slightly different person with different expectations and wants. So as a DM, I, DMs get really challenged by that. It's, mm-hmm. it's an enormous undertaking when you stop and you think about it for a moment. How do you entertain a crowd of four, six, eight, in some cases, 10 or 12 people? Uh, far, far more rare to have 10 or 12, but I mean, it's happened. Yeah, usually with the older stuff. I mean, the newer games have tried to pare down people to about six, six yeah. or seven. You know, break off, find another table, find another DM, uh, which is a good policy. I, I actually, yeah, gaming is it's like as... a tree that sheds an acorn, and the acorn becomes a new tree, and you know the old tree is still there, and everybody wins. Right, I love it. DMs aren't as rare as hen's teeth anymore. Oh yeah, boy, oh boy, uh, you know, getting a DM to game back in the day. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, where you would have kind of an expectation maybe to shoulder, you know, eight, ten players. And that could be a, a bigger uh, responsibility. But, of course, then, you know, it was kind of up to the players to understand that it was up to themselves to kind of not only understand the rules and the pre- concepts of the game, but also to come prepared to play. Yeah, we phased out of that era of rarity. And so that creates this this better question now, which is, like, how do you entertain the players you have uh, while maintaining a, a certain rigorous approach as a DM to the rule set? Uh, and we touched in Game Balance on nerfing right. the aspects that are so OP, but that's not the end of giving players a chance to be creative. Um, you know, it You've got to walk away from automatic shutdown mode and open your mind a little to hearing, you know, like it, especially in early sessions, we're mm-hmm. really early on, hearing like some idea of where they really want to go, where are they looking to end up with this character. Have they asked for something that might be unreasonable at this stage, but that you could follow D&D's terrific tradition of leveled approach, like... 
you know, at fourth level, it's this strong. At eighth level, it's this strong. At twelfth level, you finally hit that zone that you were looking for. And at sixteenth level, we take it a notch further than even you wanted. Uh, that's an approach that, I mean, it's well spelled out in the, like, third edition mm-hmm. era. Oh, yeah, in, in, into the And there's edition. some antecedents uh, in the earlier editions to that. You can phase in ideas that players have without completely permanently nerfing them. Uh, but you do want to pace it. Uh, so have an open mind. Hear what, uh, you know, what kind of ideas they're going to bring to the table before you lock in to a campaign concept that like is excluding a great many ideas. Uh, and probably a safer bet than uh, launching day one with a huge number of limitations on what can be done in-game. Right. If you're pretty much if you're opening the core rulebook, and I think that's where most of our conceptions of where you're starting in a campaign or playing a campaign is with a core rulebook. And it's not counting sessions our settings like Dark Sun or even Ebron that have different expectations upon them and uh, present a different approach. Nonetheless, um, going back to the early editions, I remember one of the big things that people had to play was the Winged Folk. Uh, that was out of Dragon Magazine. And a lot of people would show up and, can I play one of these guys? And a lot of DMs, and myself included. Oh, that wasn't the Aracocra. That no. was the... Uh... The Winged Elves. The oh, Avril. man. I had almost forgotten that. But a lot of people wanted to play them. Yeah, that never really made it into a formal uh, monster manual. Right. And so anyway, what ended up happening was is a lot of people were hit with this idea. It was out of Dragon Magazine. And what the expectation was is that you know, they presented it as an, a viable NPC race. And then they also provided a how to incorporate these as player characters. Now, one of the problems that they had was flight is a big game changer. Yeah. Now, flight in the game is a third level spell, which means that you at least have to be fifth, sixth level before you're looking at that one. And by that time, hopefully the uh, the game will have changed enough that it incorporates these ideas. But things like a carpet applying or applying mounts, they're within the realm possibility of that level too. Yeah, giving people a loner, you know. You know, it's possible, like in uh, Lost Caverns of Sajikant, you find that uh, in the valley there, you find some uh, hippogriffs. Oh, indeed. Uh, of course, that was very level appropriate. Uh. Right, and so then you, if you took the time out to train them, or had somebody who was capable of taming them, like a ranger or a druid, in dealing with them, they could turn into a valuable asset. Yeah, I mean, a year or two of game time later, uh, you have, like, battle-trained mounts of neutral alignment that pretty much anybody willing to take time and effort to train on could use. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, quite a game-changer there. But, yeah, worth mentioning, it was also level-appropriate with... uh, Right. So if you have a... uh, If you have a character, first level character who can fly, a lot of things like pit traps and chasms and even washed out bridges become kind of superfluous so you wanted to avoid that and that's kind of intrinsic to why nobody else had wings but one of the ways explaining that is besides some of the game balance issues which of course each dm has to make their choices on was the basic premise that as a dm introduce this if you're interested to your players have them encounter these new race this new race asking for help, and you, with them, provided our some rules and, and some ideas to incorporate in your campaign world. 
And afterwards, if somebody's interested in playing, then allow them to have one as an NPC and see how it works in your campaign. And if it really works, then that player can then transition that NPC into a full-line player character. Yeah, the idea of graduated inclusion. Uh, I exercised this actual process when I was running... (laughs) Oh, we have commentary from the puppy gallery. Oh, no. I used exactly this process in a lengthy game, uh, and at the onset of the game, there were no dwarves, there were no elves, no halflings, no gnomes, uh, just half-elves, half-orcs, you know, littered about from here here and there. But most of the non-human races had withdrawn from the world. Now, during the course of play, players could unlock those locations, uh, re-establish contact with those peoples, and from that time forward, any player who wanted to play one of those could. And so the elves and the dwarves and the gnomes and the haplings eventually worked their way back into play, but it was a gradual inclusion. They started off with human, half-elven, and half-orcish characters, and slowly worked their way to a much wider-scale campaign, as a result of the actions of their play. And I, I unilaterally approve of that concept. I think it's a fantastic way to let the players earn their way to it and open the doors themselves. And right, that's and you with... can do that with any like a new race creation. Uh, if, you, if you've handcrafted something and you're worried it's a little OP, uh, you, you've tried to do the game balance routine and shear off the excess powers but you want to test it, bringing it in as an NPC assistant or a guide or something like that for a short period, uh, and then watching how it interacts, and then letting a player then take a chance on using that uh, themselves. You know, it gives you a window period where, you know, (laughs) you can return within 30 days for a full refund. (laughs) True, and, you know, that's been followed in other games as well. Uh, one of the things is that that is where you have something you design set up. It's a little more problematic when you have to deal with a player character who says, I want to play a draw in the campaign. There are certain types of players that obviously are going to gravitate towards some of the edgier moments in or characters in your uh, campaign, and especially if you introduce the draw the way Uh, I would. Nobody would want to play them. Um, But, however, that said, there's a spooky and very creepy element to them that is sometimes lost in the fact that, you know, they are seen as a singular, fearsome uh, creature that even, you know, other monsters hesitate to go against. Even, you know, the elithids. Dude, even some of the trees were stabbed. Yeah. So, some players like to have those kind of characters as a race. And for the most part, if you trim some of the special abilities off, it's not a big deal. And you could also say they were foundling or they were lost or that, you know, they're a redemption arc or something like that. That's fine. But there are some other races that can make it really hard, like the Dragonborn races and others. Some DMs feel very strongly that um, having anything that doesn't resemble a humanoid directly is going to lead to mass panic and hysteria from all the villagers. And, of course, there is some merit to that. 
but you're also forgetting that this is your campaign, and these are your characters, and it's your game if you're the DM specifically. And while you can introduce some moments of tension and uh, prejudice into your game, you can also uh, cut it down and water it back, uh, walk it back, and cut it down a little bit by introducing this with other player characters. For instance, if there's a paladin in the party, and they said this is a friend, this is a foe of evil, and a a good sword arm at your side. Introducing some of the characters of the Dragonborn in that set way. Yeah, I want to dispel the rumor of <clears throat> I don't accept the oh well people would scream and panic defense. Uh but there is a baseline assumption in all of these cases that the world uh in which the game is taking place has already gone through lengthy experience having such creatures in it. So now, if, as an aspect of the campaign, a particular non-human race is extremely violent and extremely dangerous, yes, people will certainly experience aversion, fear, things like that. Uh, However, if the operating assumption at the beginning of the campaign is that, what? The walking land squid people have been here the whole time. Uh, Uh, well, you know, after the Calamari Wars. Oh, yeah. You know, just With the lobster men, yeah. Yeah. That, you know, you, you build these histories, and then they're just a facet of the world. It's perfectly all right. Uh, if you go into it without having to retcon everything in. Now, this is where I'm a little tough uh, as a DM in the respect that if I'm midway through a campaign and there's a new arrival, uh, I am not keen on retconning. Okay, either... It is as it is, or it was as it was. Uh, And if it ain't, it ain't. Uh, And I am willing to create new events, but I am not willing to retcon in old events uh, once a campaign is fully underway. Uh, Well, that's why you keep your lore loose. (laughs) Or uh, undeveloped. Yeah. Yep, you keep it just loose enough that you've got some room to wiggle. Uh, I did not accomplished that in my last campaign. It was it was there was some fairly tight lore. There was there was enough wiggle room for some minor adjustments, but I, I could not break free of all but, of it. Yeah, but anyway, getting back onto the topic of how do you handle your player characters they want to play something that you are not comfortable in your campaign and how do you approach it without, say, upsetting your players? Well, as Mike mentioned earlier, walking it back a little bit and listening to your players and working out a detailed story that not only makes sense but sets the player character as not just a unique one-off or satisfying some idle curiosity, but actually contributing to an actual event that will be fun for everybody. Yeah, I mean, make them relevant to the overall plot. Like, the the party winds up involved and, like, we've got to find their mysterious origin point. Yeah, how did this drow get on the surface world and what's their point here? You know, how did the great evil darkness that is sweeping over our land... Uh, tie in to this. How can you link those events so that the players are, the other players are pulled in? And also, part? it doesn't have to happen all at once either. Oh, no. You know, that can just show up later. But however, you end up doing it, put it in perspective that this is for everyone to enjoy. Now, this means keeping it, keeping an open mind on you as the DM part. But what about the players? It's fine as a DM if you set some rules, like, say, in RuneQuest, where they say, hey, you're Glorantha. May not be everybody's car. If you don't want ducks and ducks upset you, 
then by all means get rid of ducks. But uh, they're here if you want to use them, but nonetheless, your mileage may vary. But there are certain aspects of RuneQuest that they say. It's got to be Bronze Age. That's oh, just all there is to it. Yeah, that's the bedrock. I mean, right. it wouldn't it's, be the same game. It's a mythic that. adventure, which means that magic and gods are real. And they're just not ideas or concepts or domains. They are very real. And there's a relationship between the characters to that. So I was saying, like, well, there's... Uh, you mean there's no atheists in RuneQuest? Well, there are... But yeah. that's a different uh, that's a different perspective. If you want to be that, that's okay. And that's fine. But this is an exploration between the mythic and the mortal. And the other part is that humanity is only around because the elder races are squabbling amongst each other. <laughs> and that's a big factor that plays into that. Now, everything else is up to the DM and the players. And I'm just picking that one out of the blue on RuneQuest because I was particularly uh, impressed by the, the way the, they made a very clear language choice right. in explaining to future DMs of RuneQuest uh, how open uh, the, the system was intended to be. I mean, they, they very pointedly explained that it was a, a game meant to be adjusted to suit the specifications of the actual people using and playing it. It was not hidebound or rigid or... This is the only proper way to play RuneQuest. Anything else is heresy. No, totally the opposite attitude. They were terrific about it. And so, you know, that's the other way you should always look at your game world. And I think it's a good point of a reference to always keep in mind is that you have some guideposts. Like you say, okay, no Dragonborn in my game. Okay, that's fine. You know what? There's nothing wrong with saying that. But if a player says, hey, I would like to play Dragonborn, then maybe just for a moment, just, just hear me out, just think about the reasons why you don't want and if you really can't come to a, a viable defense of it, outside of, I just don't like them, I don't they don't jive with the way I feel the game goes, or my campaign world is going to include them, here's a person coming up to you with a good idea. Make that a new mark for you. Uh, yeah, they had, uh, what is it, uh, partial race templates back in the third incarnation of D&D. Uh, now, the Dragonborn proper, I believe, showed up in the fourth edition. Uh, no, well, half dragon, and have yeah. continued into the fifth edition. But uh, they, they they toned down the half dragon template exactly to make it more. Well, they made it more, <laughs> you know, first player. level friendly rather than correct. Uh, but the antecedents were there, yeah. So I I never really bore terrible ill will towards it. Uh, but I I see people's point uh, when they when they don't want it in their campaign. If it's a hard no. Okay, it's certainly within any DM's right to make that hard no. In fact, it's it's every DM's responsibility to figure out exactly where your hard no is going to be. Uh, that's okay. Not actually preaching against that. Uh, the next stage is, if it's not absolutely a hard no, start thinking about how you can nerf the excess uh, or build a graduated system where the strength of something that the player likes builds. Uh, or the we go back to the accessing it during the course of play uh, so mm -hmm. that they're earning it. Uh, and I would say the, the last resort, the last thing that I would, I would actually consent to here as a DM is true open play. I mean, this is the farthest end of the spectrum from hard no. Yeah. Where 
everything goes. Like, you've just opened the floodgates, and, you know, I personally would not be entirely comfortable with that, because I, I feel like it would become extremely disruptive, uh, but I feel like we're honor-bound to at least mention it. Uh, you know, everybody's got really crazy out there, uh, tweaked races that... Uh, it came out of the back of manuals that were, you know, written third party uh, in crazed screeds uh, on the internet. Uh, it can happen. Yeah, and go. You know what? Do it and see how it goes. I, I'm not going to tell people don't. Do Bizarro World. Just like I've oh, seen in uh, yeah. Pathfinder, like, no no core races. What? No core races. No dwarves, no elves, no humans, no gnomes, no half orcs, no half elves, nothing. You only get the weird stuff. Yep, and then watch and see what happens. <laughs> yep, when you have two Gilded. Well, and yeah, and to go back to uh, what Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast mentioned, uh, I, I gotta say, uh, playing the monstrous races is fun in a lot of different systems, not just Tunnels and Trolls, which, you know, handily has very simple rules for including monstrous races and all that. Yeah. But D&D... Has done very similar things in the past, and I, I've always had fun. I, of course, I have fun. Uh, what was it? Was I playing Mog Merch in uh, Weeby Goblins? Yeah. Which, by the way, cheap game, huge fun. Yeah, Weeby okay. Goblins. This is you're not going to break the bank on this one, and if you've got a table full of players with a sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you can download the stuff from free from Paizo's site and uh, go to go to work with oh, it. Oh, well there. worth the investment. Yeah, <laughs> you are not going to put yourself out of a lot of change, but you if you if you come in prepared for laughter, you will find it. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> that five that six goblin um, six adventure goblin epic <laughs> that where it starts and where it ends. Oh my goodness! It, yeah, it is definitely well worth the time of playing. <laughs> All those years. Uh, but uh, yeah, more proof to the point that you can do unusual things with unusual ingredients and right. still make a great game. You get a Tengu swashbuckler, a uh, lizard man ranger, a furbolg druid, and, you know, whatever else your uh, feathered imagination cook up. You've got the basis of a memorable campaign right there. Yeah. And don't be afraid to do that. I mean, there is nothing wrong with having people play the off races. I tend to run the middle. We're only let one or two very uncommon creatures in, and then the rest, you know, uh, I may restrict things like Typhlings to one or two players for a campaign just to keep it from everybody from playing Typhlings. Oh, are those particularly desirable these days? Yeah. I see a lot of people play Typhlings, but I kind of tend to keep them under control a little bit. I keep the typling population under control. <laughs> That's the werewolf in me. I'm sorry. Ah, all right. But uh, nonetheless, um, or were shark as I'm playing in the pirate campaign, I always try to put a character of mine of myself as an NBC in there. And this time, I have elected to make myself a were shark. Wow. Mm-hmm. Has anybody else uh, Saturday Night Live to you for that? Nope, not yet, but that will really? happen. Landshark. Pizza. What? I, I didn't order pizza. Chinese. 
okay, just a minute. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay, you had yeah. to see it. Yeah, well, we can't even explain it over the air. <laughs> it just, uh, it's one of those jokes. But, um, yeah. No, at, no, no, the wear shark is a different thing. But I always try to. I'm put, so ashamed of your players for not having gotten you with this yet. No, they. Okay. They're a bit young, but I digress. Uh, but when I do that, you know, it's like I am kind of always hoping that somebody will come to me and say, I want to play a Lacanthrop. Because I always have a good, I have a good plot idea from it. And I did it early on with, uh, I handed out as boons. And I noticed the Pathfinder Society does this. Um, well, very early Jack on. Aware running a long con. Well, that's not a, well, okay, that's, that's a different uh, sort. But in this case... Uh, early on in the village, there was a... They might get suspicious when they notice me puking on my leftover food. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought there was hyenas. Um, nonetheless, uh, in this case, I had a young girl that had been in, born as a true lycanthrop to an infected parent who had been passed on. Anyway, they had to go find her as she was going through the change, and they brought her to a community of lycanthrops that, you know, Kind of in the howling, if you know what I'm talking about from there. Sure. They were working on their problems. We're working <sighs> out some of the situations around here. Don't be around in the full moon. Just tell me. Just leave. Just yeah, for your werewolf lore, you know, watching the howling series. Uh, look, not all of them were class A movies, but... They no, were they weren't. All, they were all fun. Uh, I had a good time with all of them. Yeah. Definitely love their big old uh, scary looking werewolves. But yeah, that's a way to incorporate a fantastic character, something that a player may want, uh, into a campaign where, like, yeah, all right, that may not be the standard fare. It may not be what we expected. But with a little bit of homework, a little prep time, you know, you can build. Yeah, that path. little girl, when you're brung there, there, she could later come back as a player character into uh, another campaign. That was the kind of boon I was going to give out. Now they finished it, but nobody really wanted it, and you know that that's that was totally fine. I mean, you you offer things, and sometimes people bite, and some people pass it. But it's interesting in a campaign world where you keep something like that dynamic and moving forward. It's always made me pretty happy to be part of that. So now, if you've I've, got a team and they'll work with you on it, another recommendation of mine is to uh, back and forth your games. Like you've got to, like say for instance the DM's dream. You have a very serious, carefully thought out campaign, very specific ideas in mind, uh, and you you want them to run really traditional characters in that. Okay, then you find out your players have lots of wacky, crazy ideas, and it's very frustrating for you to hear that, like uh, you know, I want to be a unusually tall dwarf wizard. You know, and they're off on their quest to do something out of the ordinary while you're trying to get your serious game going. Okay, split down the middle as an open compromise. Every other week, you shift campaigns. One campaign where they get their wacky on, one campaign where you get your serious on. You know, be open to doing both. It's extra homework and extra writing. But, I honestly... You know, if you're a DM and you DM every week or every session, you're putting that homework in for one purpose or another anyway. Uh, you know, at the, the end of the day, the DM is the entertainer. I mean, they're, they're the voice of an entire world. Uh, and you have to bring it to life for somebody else. And it's always a task. It's always a chore. And it just happens that it's really worth it to some of us. I mean, it's so much fun. 
uh, it may be a chore, but it's a beloved chore. Yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, if you've ever taken care of horses, uh, you may love to ride, uh, but nobody loves shoveling the stables out. No. Uh, but it's a thing that comes with the turf. I'm okay with it. It's a small price to pay. For the nobody wants to sit up with a diuretic cap that drinks still water. <laughs> making sure that it doesn't pass out. But you got to do it. Yeah, their guts all cinched up. Colic. Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, it, it comes with chores, but it's okay. It's all right. Giving players as much of what they want as you can while retaining your dignity uh, is not a form of loss. No. It's always a form of win. Uh, the hostility to it, I understand. It. You know, like Some people get a vision in their head where they're aiming for something very noble and very carefully thought out and very wonderful. And I approve of that, too. Uh, I would be happy to game at that table. But I, I think we would be much poorer if there were so, so many limits on creativity. I, True. Oh, the, the madness I have seen, the, the improvised ninja class of many long years ago uh, uh, to include a player. And, oh, remember the, uh, uh, what was it, the ranger who was the son of the cat lord? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Pudow. Uh, you know, lots and lots of... Adjustments. He just wanted to play Thundercats, okay? Just yeah, huge fan of Thundercats at the time. It was a big thing back then. Yeah, it rocked that bow though. Sure did. But all right then, I think that uh, we summed it up pretty well. I believe there were some claws in this contract. You should look at Pudo. Oh yeah, the purser flew on that one. Room, uh, room looks dangerous. Does it give you pause? Oh, yeah. Could be catastrophic. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So, anyway. We're taking ship. Get on the catamaran. Uh Uh, Yeah. All right. So, with that, we're going to rein it in. At that time, we were like 15, so it's all forgivable. (laughs) With these bad puns, we beg your forgiveness. Uh, (laughs) We're going to wrap it up here and uh, call it good. And again, um, we tried to cover the topic from different uh, perspectives, both from the DM and the player side. Put a lot of different angles on it, a lot of different ways to approach either the, you know, from somewhere between hard no and total chaos. Yeah. Know, there, there, there's got to be room for every type of table, every type of player, every type of DM. Sometimes there's going to be clashes that you just can't stitch together. But honestly, I would mostly hope that those would be very few. Yeah, and... As long as you keep to your core con, uh, concepts here, campaign, you won't go wrong. No inclusion of Dragonborn will ever ruin a campaign, I promise. Nonetheless, uh, we're going to call it good there. And again, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, especially after those cat puns, oh, you should have plenty. Yeah, you should probably be worried. Ooh. You can, of course, get a hold of us on Facebook on our Dice of Screaming page there. You or you can, can get a hold of us on Twitter directly. And uh, let us know what you think there. Me at Death Hand Gaming. Myself at Magi Box. And, of course, you can download the Ingrap and leave us a message and we'll put you on here and we'll discuss it there. Won't make you famous, but uh, we'll have some fun. <laughs> infamous. Yeah, infamous maybe. Notoriety. Could be yours. <laughs> yeah, you can be like Jason, you know. Hey, we got bail money for you, bud, if it really did come yeah, down that, to that. If that road rage gets out of hand, uh, you know. <laughs> We can blow it you till payday. <laughs> uh, you know, we can come down to the cop shop and, and put in a good word. Yeah. 
But nonetheless, uh, you, as always, uh, just let us know. You, the listener, are the ones that we do this for, so let us know what you think, and uh, we appreciate hearing from you nonetheless. But until that next time, may the the dice dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.